Now, in the last two weeks, we have uh, really been been coming down uh, pretty intensely is a word I'll use on on uh, first wives and Christian wives and then Christian husbands. And I know that maybe for some of the husbands, it got a little uncomfortable in here last week, but uh, that's good. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. We don't want to get wrapped up and tied up into so much comfort that we really miss what God is trying to do in our lives. And this week, want to want to kind of go back a little bit um, and turn our attention to verses three and four here in first Peter chapter three. Now, after sharing with you that duty of the Christian wife and the husband, it's now incumbent upon us to speak of a topic that one might say is even more uncomfortable or gets far too little attention in contemporary Christian conversation. Uh, It is a topic that will center upon Peter's words to believers who lived in a culture or world not unlike ours regarding fashion and beauty. The Roman citizen in the first century, in particular Roman women, shaped their world on a definition of beauty that centered upon what appealed to the physical senses. And so the world in the first century was not much different than the world in which we live today. That we look at beauty, and America in particular, and Western civilization, has shaped beauty in a certain Barbie doll kind of image. An image of of a certain body type, a certain hair texture, a certain makeup, all of those things for women have been impressed upon you by the culture in which you live. And you have been challenged to determine whether these things define your beauty. It wasn't much different in the first century. Roman women used to used to wear earrings and big earrings and 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 necklaces and and they dressed in many ways what we would even consider today very provocatively and and highlighted all of their their so-called assets. You know what I mean, right? They they did all of those things. And if they were taking selfies in the first century, they take selfies like some of us like this. Ah, yeah. Huh? (laughs) You know, if I see one more of those selfies in social media, I'm just saying. You know, what does the front of you look like? I just... (laughs) And so, and so they were, they were, they were in many ways just like, just like our culture on today. Now, in the context of this, in context, we will discover that while Peter speaks to women In particular, in this text, he also reveals an important principle and and it is is, um, that applies to all Christians. And this principle is consistent with everything he has written thus far concerning the truth that believers were and are like exiles, strangers in a culture that rejects Christ a culture that rejects his gospel and consequently a culture that rejects even believers. And so Peter's writing 
and revealing a very important principle. And as I said, their world and our world is not much different. You are still, as believers, exiles. You are pilgrims passing through a barren land. You are on your way to a promised land. You are on your way to a place to be with Jesus every single day. But right now, you are living in exile. You are living in exile. So our discussion today will highlight three very important questions for us to consider. So jot these down if you'd like to. Jot these down if you'd like to. If you're taking notes, here are three important questions for you to consider. The first question is, what is this principle of which we speak? What is this principle? And we're going to delve into that and see what that's about. The second question is, why is this principle necessary? Why is it necessary? So we have the what and we have the why. And then here's the third principle. What or the third question, what result should we expect from the application of this principle in our lives. So we have we have what is the principle, why is it necessary, and what results should we expect when we apply this principle to our lives. So those are three questions I want you to consider as we go through this. Now, so these questions are critical to understanding Peter's overall premise here that Christians should understand that God calls us by way of the gospel to mirror Christ and not to blend or reflect the images of our current culture. We are called to mirror or to reflect Christ and not to reflect. We're not called to reflect the images of our current culture. So what that says is, is that culture should not define what is beautiful. Who should define what is beauty? God, the creator of the heaven and the earth, the one who made the purple mountains majesty should define what beauty is. The one who made the waterfalls, who made the rivers to flow, the grand majestic of uh, of the oceans and, and the freshwater great lakes. That's God who set that sunset that's so beautiful. That is the screensaver on your computer. Amen. He is the one to define what beauty really is. And so when we look at this, let's let's first of all kind of go back to to the Apostle Paul. And and Paul beautifully illustrates this idea that the world should not shape us in two real important passages of scriptures. And that was kind of one of the themes of, of Paul's writing is that he was always kind of talking about that you should not let the world shape you, but you should instead shape your world. So you have in Romans, in Romans 8, 29. Now, each passage here, when you look at the word conformed, uses a, a different Greek word for the word conform. And it's translated conformed in English. So in Romans 8, 29, we read, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We're to be conformed to his image because he's the firstborn and we become part of the family because we're conformed to his image. 
Now, the word conform there in that text in the Greek means this. It means it refers to that which is essential in character and thus complete or durable, not merely a form or an outline. So what that word simply really means is, is that in being shaped or conformed to the image of Christ, it's not just a drawing on a piece of paper or a painting. So if you're conformed to the image of Christ, you're not just this one-dimensional or two-dimensional image. You're actually conformed to this three-dimensional image of Christ that is durable and lasting. Let me make it plain. If you're conformed to the image of Christ, you just don't front this thing. You just don't talk about how saved you are. You live this salvation. There's another dimension to this that Paul is saying. Now, the second passage here that really, really illustrates to us how important it is to not be shaped or conformed to the world in Romans 12 and chapter 2. Paul says this, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be shaped by the world. When you are shaped by the world, you, and I'm going to say this in the reverse, you will not know what is good. You will not know what is acceptable. You will not know what is the perfect will of God because it's the world that's defining you. Now, the word conformed in this context, in this passage, in Romans 12 and 2, it means to fashion or shape one thing like another. Now, the, the verb here has more a special reference to that which is transitory, changeable, and unstable. So what what Paul is saying, don't be shaped by that which will change for sure. Don't be shaped by that which will not be stable. Now, let me give you a, a good example of that. How many people in here remember the Afro? Right? Right? I used to have one. <laughs> you know, but over time, I don't know who started it. <laughs> Maybe it was a person that was losing their hair, hair, hair down. I don't know. But, but I don't know who started. But somebody started cutting their hair. And the afro became out of vogue. It wasn't cool anymore. So you didn't see the brothers walking down the street with the big Michael Jackson froze. Brothers started cutting their hair. They started cutting it a little close. And, and it was a different look. And somebody came up with something called the Jerry Curl. Oh, my goodness. I, when I find Jerry, I'm going to talk to her. I don't know what she... They named that curl after you, girl, and I don't know what the... <laughs> but, I mean, you, you know, you had this Jerry Curl, and, and people were leaving activator everywhere. You knew where they had been. Isn't that right? What is that big spot on your couch? You had people going down the street with baggies on their head. And, and, they, were, and they were, you know, they were shaking the bottle, you know, scared to keep soul glow. Come on here, somebody. I'm just, 
All you coming to America fans will know that one. That's right. You know? <laughs> but you, you, had, you, had, you had this. But, but that, that fashion changed. And now if you want to buy an activator, you got to go on the black market somewhere. <laughs> Nobody sells activator anymore. Because, because so, so what Paul is saying, don't be shaped by that which will change. You know, hippies thought they'd be hippies forever in the 60s. Everything was peace and love and all that stuff. And the hippies were, you know, sitting on the street. You play your music and somebody throws some change in your guitar case and all that kind of thing. And you thought, this is never going to end. And then one day somebody said, your rent is due. And I didn't want to be a hippie anymore (laughs) because I needed a job. (laughs) So hippies start applying for work. Don't have yourself molded and shaped by that which is unstable. And there's probably nothing more unstable than the whims of culture. Isn't that right? So it's unstable. So in essence, Paul here in those texts were telling us that God intended to shape us on the inside like Christ and that God also intended for the outward appearance of believers to reflect this inward shaping to the image of Christ. So the operative question now becomes whether we are actually practicing on the outside what we say occurred on the inside. Does your outside make people doubt That there was a change on your inside. I'll just let that marinate for a minute. So our transformation. And Paul said it. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. Our transformation as believers from a world shaped and molded by sin. Is completed by the inward work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Make no mistake about that. However, it is the conscious rejection of the worldly standards that reflects our inward change and solidifies our testimony. Think about that. If new shoes are more important to you than paying your tithes, you may have a problem. You may have a problem. If your car that you drive is more important to you than giving to the work of the Lord, then you may have a problem. If you are working 70 hours a week and have no time to pray, then you may have a problem. If it's more important that people think you are cool That you have swag. Then to know you're saved. You may have a problem. Now, all fashion is not bad. Let me help you understand. I got some of my boys back there. And this morning I told them, I said, hey, y'all look good. And they all got got the hoodie. And I'm like, I got to get me an old man hoodie. (laughs) 
because I want to hang with these young dudes back here, boy. They, and, 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 you know, so, so let's understand that. But again, none of that can be more important than who I am in Christ. Isn't that right, guys? Can you believe that? That's right. Come on, help me out here. That's right. Yeah. All right. There we go. I love those guys. And so, and so we, 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 we have to think about that, that our testimony is solidified. By our conscious rejection of the world standards. As we grow in Christ, we should shed the labels of this world. In a culture that appeals daily and directly to our sensory perception, this admittedly is a difficult thing to do. You are bombarded every day with things that appeal to your senses. There are some of us in here right now that are driving the car that we have and you don't even know that the reason is, is because you saw a commercial months or years ago. And that commercial appealed to your subconscious. And you saw yourself for just that moment behind the wheel of that car. And you saw yourself and, and subconsciously you began to think about that and it germinated. And, and when it came time to get a new vehicle, what's the first thing popped to your mind? That which was planted way before the moment of your purchase. Because you're being bombarded with things that appeal to your senses. Everything becomes about what you see, taste, hear, smell, or touch. And very little in this world is ever designed to appeal to what is really important. And that is what is going on in your heart. So I know it's difficult. Now let's get back to our three questions. And weigh them within the context of what Peter writes here. In the first question is, what is the principle here? What's the principle that Peter reveals? Now, in in verse 3, he says, do not let. Now, do not let tells us that this is an imperative. This is a command. This is something that we need to take seriously. It starts off very sternly, very intensely. Do not let. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear. Now, there are people that will say that, ah, look at this text, and it means that you can't braid your hair, you can't wear gold jewelry. That's not what it's saying. Because if you read it in the, in the Greek New Testament, it also would mean that you can't wear clothes. <laughs> and in my case, I am certainly glad. <laughs> That that is not what that means. <laughs> the church say amen, right? <laughs> and so and so so it's not. It doesn't mean that. It says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Now the principle revealed here is called modesty. Everybody say modesty. Modesty. The 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 adjective modest by definition has three important meanings or definitions according to dictionary.com. And here they are. First of all, modest, to be modest means having or showing a moderate or humble estimate of one's merits, one's importance, 
free from vanity, egotism, boastfulness, or great pretension. Now, I know some of us want to crawl under the chair right now. <laughs> oh, man. I got to let go of my ego. <laughs> the second definition of modesty is, or to be modest, is free to be free from showy extravagance. Mm. <laughs> the other part of the house just got slayed right there. <laughs> And for those who are still hanging on, <laughs> the third definition means having or showing regard for the decencies of behavior, speech, dress, etc., being decent. So being modest infers that there is a standard of something that is immodest. You can't have modest and not have immodest. How do we know when something's not modest when we see it's immodest? When it's, when it's opposite or the antithesis of those things. And so, and so th- that is what it means to be modest. Now, each of these definitions guides us to understanding the principle of modesty as described by Peter. He uses the natural desire of the woman to present herself as beautiful and attractive in order to illustrate his point. Now, it is quite natural for women designed by God to care deeply about their appearance. It is quite natural for you to desire outer beauty. This passage would not work if you substituted men for that. It just wouldn't. Come on, Don, help me out, man. It just just wouldn't, would it? Us guys, us guys will walk out of the house looking any kind of way. Won't we? Now, I'm not talking about your metros in here. <laughs> I'm talking about, I'm talking about the straight up men, manly men. We'll, we will walk out of the house looking any kind of way. Our shirt may not be ironed correctly. You know, we'll have on, on, on pants that, that look like they need some serious attention. And, uh, and then when our wives look at us and say, are you going to wear that? We'd be like, what? What? What's wrong with this? <laughs> So, all right, I mean, look, what, what, what's the matter? Well, I, I look okay to me. This would not work if you insert. So Peter understood. He understood. The Holy Spirit led him to understand that this this illustration of this principle best work when applied to women, because you ladies are designed by God to care deeply about how you look. And it's a good thing that you do because some of us men are so shallow that we wouldn't even say a good morning to you if you hadn't took that extra little time to make sure you were looking good. You know you know you're looking good when you look in the mirror and just say, ain't nothing else I could do. I just... I'm sitting here trying to think of something else I could add to this, but uh, <laughs> but, but I can't even think of anything. <laughs> see, see, women innately by nature know what attracts men. 
You know it. And so Peter says, we got to, that's why you, you, you're, the, you're the, the bearers of beauty. You're the, you're the standard bearers. We, we need you to help us here. And so, so women, don't get, don't get offended. God made you that way. Because you know what attracts us. So Peter appeals to the heart of women who in general feel better about themselves as persons when they feel that their outward appearance is beautiful and acceptable to others. When you walk outside the door, ladies, and you know you're looking good. You know, back in the old school days, they had a song called The Men All Pause. When you walked into the room. <laughs> Look at y'all. Some of y'all are like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's old school stuff right there. That's, but, 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 you know, you know let, me, let me illustrate this way. Gentlemen, let me talk to you for a minute. Does your wife like, to, like you to hear, like to hear you tell her she's beautiful? Absolutely she does. Absolutely. What happens to her demeanor when out of the blue, you just tell a girl, you fine as frog hair. I'm just telling you right now, you you so fine, I get nervous being around you. I, my speech started. I can't even say my words right. I, you know, y'all, y'all ain't never seen no hair on no frog, right? That's, that's fine now. You got to look real close. You got to... So, I mean, what happens to you when your husband says your whole demeanor changes? So this is why Peter uses the natural inclinations of women to teach us about this principle of Christian modesty. In essence, Peter is defining true beauty for the Christian by saying to women, do not let your adorning be external the word adorning here means the source of your worth or your value oh you see that now so adorning means do not let the the source of your worth or your value become what you look like on the outside huh peter now proceeds to share, you see, he's saying that that women cannot look, you know, he, or he's not saying, I should say, that women cannot look beautiful or appealing to the eye. But he is saying that your outward look should not define your value. Self-esteem, ladies, should never rest in what you look like. Now, I'm going to throw something in here for free. And this is going to help you, ladies. The guy that's the player always looks for the woman whose self-esteem is tied to how she looks. He can spot you a mile away. You may be sitting at McDonald's in the drive-thru. And he's over there in his car looking, look at her. She all in the mirror worried about how she look. And he goes after the one with low self-esteem. He is no match 
For the woman who says proudly that my value and my worth is not tied into who did my hair last week. But my value and worth is tied to my relationship with God. The player runs from that. I just threw that in for free. So, your self-esteem should never rest in what you look like. Peter now proceeds to share the true why or reason or essence of this principle of Christian modesty. And that leads us to our second question. What is our second question here? Why is modesty necessary? The principle is modesty. But why is it necessary? Why can't you adorn yourself any old way and still be a good child of God? Why can't you dress provocatively and sexy and all of those things and still honor Christ. After all, isn't it God that gave you this? Ain't my fault I look good. I'm just saying. You better talk to my mama and daddy. I don't know what you... <laughs> we just got good genes in the family. <laughs> Why? Do you not do that? Why? Why is modesty necessary? As I stated earlier, the, the Roman world was not much different than our world today. Men and women of modern culture spend enormous amounts of money on fashion and beauty related products. One estimate says that the apparel and textile industries generate over 700 billion with a B dollars a year. I have a hard time imagining a million dollars. <laughs> a billion is way beyond my imagination. And, and 700 billion is almost a trillion, which is way beyond my ability to think. A billion, 700 billion dollars we spend on clothes and looking good. This is easily the largest economy, the textile industry, in the global economy. It's the largest industry in the global economy. We don't, we, you know, and it's clear, my brothers and sisters, we like to look good. And it's also clear that Christians have summarily contributed to these numbers on a high level. It's going to get quiet in here right now. We no longer simply have a Sunday best, but we got an everyday best as well. We're not just trying to look good when we go to church. We try to look good every day of our lives, and it becomes defining for us. We have a closet full of clothes at home, and we stand there for a half hour saying, now, what am I going to wear? Now, don't, don't, don't raise your hand, but if there are ladies in here today and you have clothes in your closet that still have the tags on them, I'm just trying to help you understand why Peter didn't use men here. <laughs> Because there's probably not many brothers in this room today that can say, you go to my closet and find something that still has the tag on it that I've never worn. Men will wear a new suit home from the store if you let us. <laughs> you know, we're very practical. If I had to try it on, why can't I just walk out the store with it? Here, take the tag and charge me for it. That's very practical. I, make me have to change back in these clothes I didn't want. <laughs> That's why I'm here to buy new ones anyway. <laughs> so, 
So that's, you know, so, so, I mean, understand, we like to look good. And Peter's word here is critical to the believer of today, woman or man, who ties their personal worth to what they wear, how their hair looks, and how, and the jewelry that adorns their body. Therefore, in order to help us understand real beauty, Peter writes this. He says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Oh, we're going somewhere here. Peter brings to full animation the idea that within us all is a hidden person of the heart. In other words, there's somebody in you that everybody doesn't see or everybody doesn't need to see. There's a hidden person of the heart. And here's why we need to practice modesty as believers. So that this hidden person in our heart, which is being shaped in the image of Christ, can become visible to the entire world. So we practice modesty so that the inner person, which is being molded and crafted and shaped and pushed and forced and shaven down and and chopped up and put back together in the image of Christ. We do this so that you can see what God is doing in us. Peter, in essence, says to us, unveil the work. God is doing on the inside of you. And don't hide it with what you put on that draws attention to you and not to Christ. It is the definition of Christian humility to reduce ourselves as we increase Christ. Great statement of humility from John the Baptist. He said what? I must in- decrease and he must increase. If you are a Christian and you are increasing and Christ becomes decreasingly harder to see every day, then you are doing this the wrong way. You need to flip that around. We ought to see less of you and more of Christ. I know you won best dress in high school, but that's not so good at 50 years old, at 60 years old, you are not still be pursuing those same types of things at this point in your life. As you become a Christian, it becomes more important that people see Christ. Amen. You ought to go back to your, your reunion, you know, those of you who want best dress and, you know, most likely to look good every day. <laughs> You ought, to, you ought to go back to your class reunion and people ought to be surprised Jesus. and they ought to say, you changed. Jesus. What? What's the, that's different about you look differently. What is this glow that you have? It's not pancake number three makeup. It's not CoverGirl. It's not. It's not Max makes Maybelline. It's not. It's not Mac. It, you know what it really is? Is that the glow you see on my face is the love of Jesus that's bubbling over in my heart. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. 
unveil what God is doing. The God of heaven is doing some remarkable work on the inside of every believer. Why should we hide that work from a world that desperately needs to see Christ in us by masquerading ourselves in customs and rituals with which the world is already familiar? People in the world already know how to look good. They already know how to dress good. They already know how to get all dudeed up and all that. They already know that. What they don't know is what's happening in your heart when Jesus took your sin and washed it away with his blood. So modesty is necessary that people can see the work of Christ in us. The labor of the Holy Spirit as the result of believing the gospel needs to be visible not only in our words, but also in the humility of our appearance. Listen. God is about his glory. Make no mistake about it. He doesn't care how you dress. When you dress modestly, what he cares about is whether you're showing the world Christ. Because when you show the world Christ, guess who gets the glory? The glory is not ours, but belongs to the Father. And so we, I I know that messed you up just now. I know some of us feel a little stuck in the mud right now and. You got to go back to the store and take some of that stuff off layaway. <laughs> Don't get mad at the clerk when you do it. I, <laughs> give me my money back. My pastor preached on this. <laughs> <laughs> Be out there scandalizing my name. <laughs> Can't believe it. Give me my money back. But, uh, but modesty, modesty is necessary. We should demonstrate that true beauty is Christ. Coach is not your designer. Michael Kors is not your designer. Ann Klein is not your designer. Gucci is not your designer. Louis Vuitton, not your designer. But your designer is Jesus Christ. He is our designer. It is him who we wear before a world that has been stripped spiritually naked by sin. He is our covering and our clothing. There's conviction in this. Paul puts it like this in 1 Timothy 2 and 9. He says, likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control. Now, I want to stick a pin right there because, I, again, I need to help you ladies know why Paul, it seems like Paul's picking on you, but he's really not. Paul understands that if he can get women to show modesty and self-control, it'll help men do the same. Because a lot of us guys have very little self-control. By nature, it came with the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. But brothers, just for a minute, think back before you got saved. 
All right, all right, come on, come on back now. I just said for a second, I can't, I can't leave you there. <laughs> I mean, reel you back in, you know. But you, but you, but you think about, you think about that. Here he says, he says, women do this with a respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control. And I'd like to think he was thinking because men might not be able to handle this. So he says, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Huh? Don't let your good works be hidden because nobody can get their eye off the fact that your neckline looked like it started at your navel. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Nobody's going to say, oh, what a holy woman of God. When your clothes so tight, if you drop your keys, just kick them all the way home. Don't even try to. Don't, don't even try to bend over again. You, you're going to mess us. You're going to mess somebody up. <laughs> You know, you come to church leading brothers into sin. I mean, no. And don't, you know, look. Don't, don't take pride in the fact that some woman was about to slap the taste out of her husband's mouth when you walked in the room because he couldn't stop looking at you. Don't take pride in that. There is no pride in that. My grandmother used to say to young ladies she taught living in her apartment area. And she used to say things like, no one's going to buy a cow when they get the milk free. No man is going to buy that cow when he's getting the milk free. And if you think... That revealing your body in such a way that you leave little to the imagination is sexy. You don't understand what sexy is. See, let me help you understand how the mind of a man works. A man's mind gets excited by what's not seen. I'm talking about when he thinks about somebody he's going to marry. Now, if, he, if the people he's going to hang out with and never take home to mama, you know, all that loose dressing and, 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 and provocative stuff. But when he thinks about he wants to to think about how beautiful she is. She wants he wants to he wants to be left with a picture of her elegance. Of her character, because that's who he's going to marry. Oh, you ain't got to help me. I know. He says that your godliness with your good works. Now, this leads us to our final question, and we'll be done here. Our final critical question. What result should we expect from the application of modesty in our lives? When we apply modesty to our lives, men and women, what result should we expect? Well, Peter says this. He says, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Peter says that the modest believer 
or in this context, the modest Christian woman has something very precious that is born of being modest. It is a beauty that will never die. In fact, he calls it imperishable. Now, this means that that beauty will never fade away. Now, I don't care how fine you think you are right now. Keep on living. Huh? The physical beauty of every one of us will fade. Even if you look good when they lay you out in that casket, your flesh is going back to the dust from whence it came. You know, we go up to it at funerals and we say, oh, it looks so good. Look at her. She's so, oh, she looks so good. Check on it in about six months. <laughs> see, see, the dust which we were made from, from the time we are born, starts reclaiming our physical body. And so the Dust is going back. Physical beauty will fade and should never be the foundation of relationships between believers. How many believing women and men get tricked into the trap of loving someone because how they look? Ladies, let me tell you something. If a man comes up to you and he says, you look good, and it's followed by I love you, be suspicious of the I love you. Understand that. Because if all he loves is your physical beauty, that's going to make a problem for you because you want this man to still want to hold your hand when you're 85 years old sitting on a park bench and both of you have to get up with a walker. Is he still going to hold your hand then? Over the years, because our physical bodies change, do, do, do you become more ornery and, and, you, and he, he looks at and he doesn't want to look at you and all these things. You don't ever want to get in relationship based on physical beauty. It's going to change. God would have us to know that when we apply the principle of Christian modesty to our lives, we have in our possession something that is precious in God's sight. Peter describes the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit as precious to God. Why? Why does God, it appears that God is so greatly valuing of a gentle and a quiet spirit? Because a gentle and a quiet spirit reflects a humility built of the work of Christ And the gospel in our lives. A gentle and quiet spirit says that even if I have to suffer, that you may see the work of Christ and the gospel in me. So be it. I will keep quiet in defending myself, adorning myself, and gently show you that Christ is everything. I will show you Christ as a wife. I will show you a beauty That you may not understand. So that husband you can know the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you can become a believer in him. I will show you a beauty that comes from my inner parts. That you may not even be ready for. But it's a beauty that's built and worked and crafted. By the power of the Holy Spirit living in me. Men should say I'll show you Christ as a husband. Though I could show you 
my physical strength. I choose to show you the strength of my Savior. I could show you how many books, how many bookshelves I could build, how many kitchens I could fix. I could show you all of that. But I want to show you the strength of a Savior that when they took two pieces of wood and hung him on it, he stayed right there. So that we could be saved. I will show you Christ because it is Christ who showed me salvation. And desires to do the same for you. It is Christ who sacrificed for every one of us. It is he who Isaiah said wasn't even good to look at. That showed us a strength. A character. A humility. That says I'm going to leave heaven. And come here to earth. That I might die. That I might be made sin for you. That my blood might be shed to wash away your sins. I'm going to show you that Christ. And I don't have to show you Christ in an Armani suit. I don't have to show you Christ in a Christian Dior dress. I don't have to show you Christ in any of those things. I don't have to show you Christ in a Donna Karen. I don't have to show you Christ in DKNY. I don't have to show you Christ in any of those things. I show you Christ with a gentle and an humble spirit. That even when I know I'm right. And I don't deserve how you're treating me. I'm going to take on your sin. For the glory of God. And for the sake of the gospel. We should expect that by our modest living, people will see Christ. Come on, give the Lord some praise of you. Stand on your feet all over the room.